0: Samwa sambu tatsana tatsamato a to samwa sambu tatsana mo tatsamato a hatur samma sambu tasa haparu ta ye sodawantaba munjantu satan. There's only a few days left of this uh, retreat, as you're well aware, and uh, (laughs) back into what they call the real world, which is not real. into uh, the question always arises how to how should I practice when I go home <laughs> a, because as I pointed out in the beginning this is a, a kind of laid-on affair where everything is kind of set up provided uh, as an ideal idyllic situation uh, and but it's you know it's a it does give you a chance to they just uh, live in a, in a rather unique way for a couple of weeks in which you begin to notice things about yourself and your experience that you, you probably would not notice so clearly or would overlook in a more ordinary situation. One thing, getting so not talking and in the si- silence and in the stillness and the the ordered life uh, that we live during this retreat, then with a, like a sensory deprivation, the, sen- the, the amount of sensory impingement is minimal. So recognize that is one uh, as if you're not being con- stimulated in uh, highly by. Through the senses, when you get to when you're kind of letting go of, of just reactivity and of self obsessions and duties, responsibilities, and all the rest, then you begin to notice the the natural state of being in this awareness, and that's very important to see that to get to to know that because we generally don't notice, we forget, and we the world. The real world quote-unquote is uh, you know kind of screams and yells and and uh, tells us all kinds of things and all couched in the forms of what we should and shouldn't do or be. But in terms of recognizing what a real refuge is in, in that place where there is balance, peace, clarity, stillness which you're beginning to recognize is through direct experience, not just a, an idea anymore. Well, how do we maintain that in the thing when we go back home and back to the place where we work uh, where everything the sensory impingement is so strong, so this is where uh, how to integrate practice in daily life. In the monastic form, you have you do have you have an ordered life basically that uh, around uh, uh, the morning puja, morning evening chanting, and the uh, phases of the moon, and the meal, and and the uh, robes and the bowl and the things that are monastic here you're using that as as references for reflection composing yourself establishing mindfulness around the robe or the alms bowl or the food or the every morning every evening, there's a puja the bowing the chanting mm-hmm. And so forth. These, these all help, you know, if used uh, skillfully, if used in the right way, to to uh, help us to remember that still point, that collected place of awareness in the present. But we still can. Monks are still pretty good at doing all this thing in a perfunctory way because you know, any, any convention becomes perfunctory you, can, you get used to it and you can just go through the motions uh, because it becomes habitual then Within, but our efforts now aren't to be caught up in the momentum of habits that we're, uh, and not to develop new habits but to use conventions to develop, to, to sustain awareness and to remind us of the Buddha Sangha. So for lay people, you have to figure this out in your own uh, living situation, considering the people you're living with, and then we uh, find, you know, some if your your say your your partner is not interested in meditation <laughs> or. There's all kinds of conflicts around uh, uh, the people that we live with and that we work with, because uh, meditation is, if, is oftentimes seen as a threat. People see it as something that's going to, you know, you're going to change and and be different, and you're not going to be the 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 one who you know you're used to, and who will go along with and do all the things that you you're used to doing. So we have to take that into account, how to live and, and sustain our practice within the conditions that that we have. And so recognize that this is a this is a, an ideal condition, you know where it's directed, it's focused, it's uh, supportive in every way. Uh, So this is, you know, this is uh, one of the best Uh, and and so you reflect that when things are at their best Uh, but you can't live like there's not even monks and nuns can live on in such a way uh, as as an ongoing practice is an extreme so they say monastic life is around the ordinariness of monastic daily life rather than a a very special meditation retreat situation. So there's is a the divinaya discipline of the monk and the the um, the monastic routine, the the life, the daily life is is, is supportive towards mindfulness. And of course, we are living in a community where everybody is uh, kind of supporting each other as best we can toward this. So that that is very good. But in, say, the world, maybe this is not possible. But then you can take that into account. Don't see it as a, an obstruction that, that means you can't practice, but it means that you... Is something you have to take into account in your practice to bring into consciousness the the kind of situation you're in, the people you're living with, the responsibilities that you have, a professional situation you're in, uh, and all the uh, contributing factors to the experience of daily life, so that you're you're not not too to uh, criticize or complain, but to just accept and notice that these things one can uh, be aware of, can actually use. In monastic communities, as much as we, we're all kind of dedicated to the same goal and have the same aspiration, which yet uh, there's a lot of suffering around personal conflicts uh, too you know it's, it's always quite you know the, when you contemplate the, the uh, quality of people and of the monastic life and they uh, you know it's like cream of the crop really people are very morally responsible and committed and in every way to uh, a spiritual goal, willing to give up all worldly uh, pleasures, renounce, be celibate, and live in a restrained and, and give up personal freedom to just do and go and say what you want. Uh, and so there's a high level of, of uh, you know, personal commitment and responsibility And yet, in a monastery, there's a a lot of suffering around personality conflicts. (laughs) So, really good people, spiritually uh, developed and aspiring people, uh, can... uh, uh, also, oftentimes, cannot get along with each other very well. <laughs> so don't don't think that this is just a lay person's problem. <laughs> hmm. But then that's part of life. then that's part of life, isn't it? When we're contemplating the world, we're not a complaint, but but that's that's what that's part of our experience. There's the, the the, the different ways we just move or look or the position we're in or the kind of uh, way we whether we're born under what star sign or or whether we're <laughs> from what generation or from what cultural background or class or race or gender and all these things do have, you know are, Causes of misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. It's easy or if they just say, say, like Americans English and English people to totally misunderstand each other, <sighs> separated by a common language. I think <laughs> 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 they, but, of very good intention and very, very uh, committed to the same thing, but oftentimes really misunderstanding the way, just the way we talk or the the, the assumptions we're making, a difference. And so even on that, then there's like the, the different say from Asian countries, we have Sri Lankans and Thais and Cambodians, and we have different European nationalities and. And Australian New Zealanders and and all like that uh, living in under the same discipline, the same aspiration, and yet uh, uh, there there can be um, really uh, you know a lot of of angst and anguish or rage over just because the way the expectation of assumptions we're making are quite different or then around the gender of the body the, the nuns they and the monks a lot of really misunderstandings between male and female because uh, they're very different in what they how they think and react to life you may have noticed <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> or different
0: age groups uh, just uh, the fact that uh, different generations like like my generation I'm living in a community of people who are all considerably younger than I am there so, you know, sometimes I find there the the kind of I kind of get bewildered by <laughs> certain things because <laughs> I've been a monk for over thirty years. I, and they talk about all these things that have happened between nineteen sixty and
1: nineteen
0: ninety seven. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about at the time. <laughs> But these things needn't be problems. But <coughs> uh, uh, in terms of they, you know, to be taken into account. That's why we're we're looking at the mind rather than trying to solve all these things and trying to get perfect understanding and rapport and and each culture, each and we have to iron out all the wrinkles and all the misunderstandings between them. Men and women and between uh, d- different generations, different cultures, ethnic backgrounds, personalities, star signs, and so forth. <laughs> 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 and it's like, you know, I want to I go off to my cave. <laughs> I want to be alone. Leave me alone. I can't bear it. It's too complicated. Uh, because on that level, it's hopeless. You're trying to, to have perfect harmony and understanding mutual respect and and uh, and that with, uh, between even a, a, a group of people say in a, in a monastery like this that are all extremely fine people in themselves same aspirations same commitment so you have to work on a, so a different level on that and that's what meditation is getting to to the realization of truth that is beyond transcending, and can, uh, the all these different things that affect this our our lives, our daily lives. This is where we... we And we also develop a lot of wisdom because of this. If we, I think if we live in a cave, we probably don't develop much wisdom. Maybe we develop the wisdom that's necessary to live in a cave. But when you get outside of that, you probably don't know what to do. So I remember in early years in Thailand, I'd, I'd have to sometimes... And be living in the forest in the northeast and then and then I have to go to Bangkok for something and the idea was Bangkok was a terrible place that you couldn't practice it, it ruined your samadhi uh, it was uh, noisy and uh, dirty and uh, uh, too many distractions and so that the, the common assumption among western monks anyway was that uh, you went you try to avoid going to Bangkok at all costs, only for necessary things, and and then uh, get you if you had to, then you go and you get back to your cave as soon as, as quickly as possible. Uh, and the attitude was Bangkok was, uh, you know, like a a place you can't be mindful in, you can't practice. So I contemplated that. And I thought, what what is mindfulness if it's if it's dependent upon a situation? If so you can only be mindful in a cave or in a forest, that doesn't that doesn't seem like mindfulness to me. That seems like you're getting dependent upon a place that you you're assuming that in order for you to get enlightened, you have to you have to depend on a place uh, and and so that you can get all the right thing, control all the right things, and, and, and then hopefully get what you want from that. So, just noticing that assumption that the the idea that Bangkok is uh, you can't practice in Bangkok, I began to see that was just an opinion that that seemed true. I mean, it seemed at the time, you know, that that was the way it is that Bangkok was difficult and noisy and all that's true. But one can still be mindful in Bangkok, and so. Uh, changing the attitude towards uh, rather than just grasping the idea the, the bias against Bangkok letting go of that one and just le- learning to to use the situation uh, that one is in you know, if you're in Bangkok then this is where you, you're mindful Or wherever you are you, you, you can be mindful of that So because of that, I never found Bangkok an obstruction to practice, or that, that my practice somehow diminished and became worse in Bangkok. It, uh, because I I was I, I was determined to use the experience there uh, for with mindfulness and and with wisdom. That doesn't mean that I that I'd like I mean I've never liked living there I don't like living in big cities anyway it isn't a you know wanting to live there but but but, uh, so that you know one I would naturally gravitate to the more uh, uh, rural places the forests when that's possible but but not to Assume, make assumptions or attachments, so that the the life, the meditation is more of a flowing situation rather than a fixed one. In daily life, you uh, bring into your mind the what the, the the situation you're in, and then see what you can do with it, like like just they say formal practice well, how, how can you say practice do formal meditation practice in daily life how can you integrate that into your daily routine or responsibilities or family life that's something you have to figure out for yourself how to do that knowing the, 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 the situation you're in but it's very good too uh, use formal practice as just like an exercise or do anapanasati, uh, mindfulness of the breath or relaxation exercises or, or the sound of silence help to always establish, uh, bring you back into the, you know, even though your mind may be wandering all over the place to compose yourself in, uh, at times during the day. so I found that uh, say one can do say formal sittings and, and maybe what, maybe you can only do it 15 minutes in the morning or whatever it's still better than not doing it even if it's only five minutes it's still better, it's minutes, it's still better to or even it's better to think even one minute better than not bothering or even thinking the idea I should meditate on, <laughs> <better>. <laughs> But, if, but to establish uh, the, the uh, morning and evening practice that is uh, say not disrupting your family life or being uh, inconsiderate and rude to, or, uh, to the family or the people you're living with but uh, which you can, which you feel is, is right and, and suitable that's for something that you have to, to figure out also, with the sound of silence, I found that very useful as a way of, of, uh, integrating practice because uh, uh, say in traffic jam, like in Bangkok where they have these terrible traffic jams, people complain about it all the time, traffic jams. And yet, one can practice meditation very well in a traffic jam. If you're stuck in a traffic jam for half an hour, you've got half an hour's anapanasati. sound of silence <laughs> or and or we'll watch the irritation or the, the the mental agitation you create around uh, you know this this anticipating or this kind of this uh, restless feeling of wanting to get somewhere and not be stuck or you can you can use the situation for just for developing awareness around what you're feeling I have found in a traffic jam i you know, the mind, the mind is always wanting to. You know, you feel this desire to move, and you you feel this kind of irritation, frustration at not being able to move. Then, I mean, then you then the traffic starts moving a bit, and you can now we're going, and then it stops again. <laughs> <So> you can <laughs> observe this, be the observer of this emotional reaction to to just the. Experience of being stuck in a traffic jam. So we can use these frustrating situations in, as dhamma practice, rather than than uh, being caught up in the usual uh, grumbling or negative reactions to them that we usually produce. So this is developing wisdom, isn't it? We're now taking wisdom and using it. Uh, with the experiences that we have in life, I find you know, the sound of Science are useful to work with with people in in uh, in like in meetings. It helps to center me and not and to uh, to help me to to kind of empty my mind out rather than than uh, just be caught in. Reactivity to what people say. So we've been in some of the. We've been having these kind of meetings, sometimes called process meetings, where the where you're supposed to talk about how you feel and and things like that with each other. And so this. Uh, and oftentimes this is, uh, you feel this, this sense of very, va- of vulnerability when you're talking about how you feel in a group. Uh, because you know, my generation, we never talked about how we felt in a group. And so, we, uh, this is quite a, quite a new idea, new experience. But <laughs> I observed the kind of, the feelings of nervousness whenever these meetings come around, they kind of you get the kind of butterflies, the uh, feeling, the things start, <laughs> kind of nervous sensations in your guts. Uh, the idea of having to talk about personal feeling in a group that uh, the, the group of, of monks. Is uh, brings up this these feelings. Or just not, not because it's the fault of the monks or even myself, but this is just what I'm noticing, being aware of of how things affect this body and this this being when uh, when these kind of uh, conditions exist. Or when people criticize. Or when people criticize, like like. Uh, People in the past, several years, have been quite critical of me, so that, so that I've, I've had to use that as a means of, of practice to be able to to notice the the effect of you know the, the emotional reaction uh, and physical reaction to say, what they call sharing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: ah. let me share something with you I don't know. But in some ways it's very, it's very, it's very good to, to, to do that because, you know, you, it helps to bring into consciousness a lot of fear and, and, uh, feelings of being threatened and being, or misunderstood, all these kind of emotions, uh, or, or feeling it, uh, on, feeling one is being treated unfairly or criticized unfairly, so that, the aim is to to be able to recognize these these emotional reactions in terms of dhamma. They arise and they cease. And when it's getting into personal things, it get the emotions get increasingly more kind of real, powerful. And when it, when it's about something else, when we have business meetings and talking about Things like that, is somehow they it's, it, you're t- it's not so strong. But when you're getting into personal things, then it brings up a lot of, ang- of fear and, and uh, of being rejected or being exposed or being humiliated in some way or being put down. These are part of human experience this, this, uh, in the in the world, so that, that this also can be seen in terms of dhamma. So I find with emotional, uh, personal emotional problems, uh, uh, things I I do try to focus on the feelings in the body, the trunk of the body, uh, so just to be able to sustain attention on on the situation on the actual feeling that that I'm having and the physical feeling like if if uh, um, somebody is is saying something I don't like I don't want to hear or I don't agree with and then uh, I could either argue back or you know walk out of the room or or just shut down, refuse to listen. Or I can look at you know, listen and 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 pay attention to the the feelings in the in the body. So I found this this very strengthening ability to say listen to to be able to keep my attention on on the feelings I hear. Somebody's uh criticizing me and then I, I'm listening, the sound of silence, and I'm sustaining, and I'm concentrating on the, on the feelings, the tensions, and the, down in here usually, when, when you're being criticized, I usually feel it down here. <laughs> so I, 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 by, by practicing with that then I, I find that uh, it's. uh, I'm I'm not getting. If I if I use bodily feeling, then that stop and the sound of silence. I can stop the thinking process, and then I can and then that lingering uh, emotion that hangs around and the physical sensations as you as you embrace those, accept those, then they then they'll change and they'll cease. And that's a very wonderful way for crea- developing a lot of strength in, in, in being able to, to listen to other people, to, to reflect and try to understand uh, what people are saying or trying to even understand yourself better rather than just be caught in reactivity and, and uh, controlling and manipulating a scene to protect yourself. So in terms of what we've been doing this, these two weeks, it, it integrates well into a very stressful situation also. It, but it does take wisdom and the willingness to use the experiences of life. With the self often we've got a lot of pride and a lot of fear to deal with so that sometimes one doesn't want to hear one just wants to uh, you know go off to the cave uh, leave me alone uh, reaction which I you know can fully appreciate and understand but also there's this other way of dealing with it which I find a very strengthening approach it makes me unafraid of life. Before I was, I had a lot of fear around life, you know. And uh, when I was a lay person, I was a very controlling kind of person. I would, I got myself through university and all kinds of situations because I could manipulate and control things for my own benefits and a kind of survival Survivalist mind, and so I, I could, I, in in the system I lived in, I could, you know, I learned how to operate and protect myself. But I also had a lot of, of self aversion because of that, a uh, uh, self loathing, and uh, and also a lot of ang- uh, fear. And inability to listen to people or try to, just react, I'd get, i just be very reactive and defensive towards other people. It makes it impossible for anyone to live. You can't li- live with anyone like that very long or very well. So I was married two years. <laughs> <laughs> Wife couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> so, <they laughs> so
1: these
0: are the these are the, they kind of became a lot of fear. If, they're, if, they're, if things got into a place where one was being threatened, then I could get very uh, very fierce, and and, ra- and rage would take over and be very frightening.
1: So this is
0: this is uh, neurotic, yes, but it it's also a result of having of you know not understanding things and not knowing how to deal with stressful situations or how to develop a relationship with somebody else. It was more or less based on ideals like romantic ideals, marriage with. Was a kind of a romantic idea, One like the idea of it and the romantic part of it. I mean, you can't—you know—that to sustain that as an ongoing way of relating to each other is impossible. And <laughs> so then you get down to the to the, uh, to the practicalities of of uh, the of being with each other and, and irritating each other and misunderstanding each other and threatening and criticizing and resenting and hating and loving and fearing and so forth that, that we have in regards to uh, people that we live, we share our lives with. So this kind of practice also helps to deal with those kind of problems. In fact that because one that developed I've developed this practice then those kind of situations don't frighten me anymore I can I'm quite open and willing to uh, walk into the lion's den
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> or try to get through the snake pit or the <laughs> Oh, I've, I've been married for 31 years now.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think we marry the Dhamma, which is... Uh, which uh, I, I'm quite happy with. It's been a good, it's been a good marriage. So this sense of fearlessness comes from understanding... The, the dhamma of the way things are, understanding yourself. And to understanding yourself also, you under, you know, you, you you understand the problems of others. And then much more compassion and and gentleness and kindness come from that understanding. During the in meditation practice, see, see it, don't see it as just a sitting on a on a zafu, uh, shutting everyone out, but but see how to develop it into an awareness. Because with this sound of silence, it gives you a, a kind of expansive container in which your own gut feelings. And the people you're that are impinging on you can be, you know, in that moment it, it, it all fits together, and you can you can use that situation rather than than run away to a to a cave and where you can get one pointed concentration on on an object. So this is intuitive awareness, where you, you remember intuition is is whole. It, Takes on everything. So it, it embraces it. takes like this. It's like this. So that right now there's the sound of silence. I can be aware of the body as it is, the breath, the mood of the mind. I can listen to somebody. Or I'm aware of, of some of the of things around me that, that uh, affect me. And through this kind of intuition, I've also you just observed how. How, how much just natural uh, reactivity there is, uh, just body language, how it affects, how somebody moves or looks or that, of how it affects your conscious experience, and the, just aggressive gestures or angry looks, so you feel it, don't you? Walk, and uh, sometimes you meet somebody and get, they give you a really mean look, and you feel it. Maybe that, and you, then you tend to take it personally, like think What did I do? To, what have I done now? <laughs> find out that they They're not angry at you, they're angry at somebody else <laughs> Or maybe they're not angry, maybe they're just in a, they, just in a bad mood or they, Maybe that's how they look when they're not smiling <laughs> well maybe they're angry at me <laughs> but it is just so. or the way somebody walks or moves it you know you you as you as you're in the state of awareness intuitive awareness you're aware of how just bodily gestures affect consciousness like you can find yourself kind of being startled by the way somebody walks toward you, or or the the kind of vibrations they send to you. You, you, The sensitivity is is including that. But rather than interpreting it through fear and desire and personal uh, explanations, you're, you're contemplating it in terms of Dhamma. So you're, in that way, in that, in that willingness to do so, you're, you're getting beyond just the, the, uh, because the fear is always around, is very personal, you know, the, the anxiety, the, the despair, the, the indignation come, usually related to some form of conceit or fear on a personal level. Like, none of us like to be humiliated or made to look like a fool in public. So in, you find that, but sometimes uh, so, um, this happens. So, this is something to, and, and, and it's a kind of pride, isn't it? Conceit, wanting to, to appear good all the time and not look foolish. Not be made not to be made fun of, but still, when those things happen, we can we those see that as an opportunity rather than be caught up in the in the anger or uh, be carried away by the emotional reaction. Just like what I was telling you the other day about a Buddha, being a Buddhist monk when I first came to live in London and and people would make fun of me on the street and call me Skinhead and Hare Krishna and, and other names that I will not repeat a <laughs> group of polite and refined people <laughs> Hare Krishna and Skinhead are politer versions but I could I could, I, I, I try to get some feeling, you know, begin to look at what I, that sense of being threatened or, or that, and that resentment that comes from being made fun of. So instead of, uh, wallowing in or suppressing, but using that, to get in touch with that, that kind of emotional reaction helps a lot to, to give you a confidence and strength strengthens you in your in your life as a as a member of this society So these are really valuable tools, which, which uh, uh, I hope you don't think are just you can only use at Amaravati retreats. <laughs> that, well, uh, you know this is like the practice ground, you know, the, the uh, training course. The, the real practice is in the daily life. and this is a reflection for
1: this evening.